Go blue! There's no way. If you're a guest here, I apologize. If you're a fan of another team, when you follow Jesus, you get that right. Uh, but there's no way we could go through what we went through this last week and not celebrate this a little bit. And I got this shirt, Michigan beat everybody, and on the back the whole season there. Oh, there we go. After years of agony, we're finally in the promised land. All right. <laughs> Not to spiritualize it too much. And I, I, know, I know when I bring stuff up about sports, it just creates all kinds of tension. And I've made fun of years. I am a Go Blue fan, have been for years. And, you know, we've had some Sparties actually leave the church because they took it seriously. It's like, you know, I don't like country music either. Are you going to leave? You know, I mean, seriously. It's, but uh, but I, I know for a lot of us, one of the reasons I would do this, I know for a lot of us, what I'm wearing just warms your heart. And this is a very, very cold winter day in Michigan, so who doesn't need a little heartwarming? And I'm not leaving the rest of you out, because I know some of you are here, and this doesn't warm your heart. But it does ignite the flames of resentment, so it's keeping you warm, too. Uh, but I've got great news for you. This is a great weekend. We're talking about how to get beyond resentment. And so I have no problem coming out. In fact, I can be all things to you right now. I can be the source of your resentment, and then I can give you the solution to get beyond it. And so this is going to be a great weekend for all of us. We're glad that you're here. But I think that we have to acknowledge the reality of life. As we're going into a new year, you know, we're trying to create these positive resolutions. And if we ignore the reality of life that keeps us from fulfilling them, we'll never get there. Psalm 90, verse 10, our days may come to 70 years or 80. You might live a long and full life if your strength endures. Yet the best of them are still but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly fly, pass and we fly away. No matter what kind of life you live, how long, how elevated, you're going to experience trouble. Every single one of us have experienced pain in life and will continue to experience it. We've all known pain. We've all known betrayal. And all of us have private and hidden experiences in our lives that just don't fit the image that we project. You know, I mean, when you look around, you see people projecting these images and you go, man, I wish I had their life. I wish they had their life. No, you don't. Because behind the veneer, behind the projection, every single one of us has this hidden experience of pain and hurt and brokenness. All of us long to be the people God created us to be. He created us to be people in His image, experiencing the fullness of life as He designed it, but we don't. You see, every single one of us is, in reality, broken. And so we can't, on our own, achieve our longings. We want to experience the fullness of His image, but we can't because we're trying to do it alone. And so we limp and we crawl through life instead of running. We're a product, in the end, of our own minds. We allow all the negative things that we've experienced to define 
who we are. And in the end, they trap us. We should be allowing what God has said to define us, God's truth to define us. And in so doing, we would find the freedom that we long for, but we don't. We've all walked away from him and we've been trapped in this life that's lesser than. And if we're honest, it gets really lonely having to hide who we really are in order to create the image of who we want to be or at least want others to see us as being. It's really a struggle. And sadly, this is the reality, if we're honest, of most of our lives. I'm not talking about people who don't believe in Jesus' lives. I'm not talking about people who didn't choose to brave the cold weather to come to church, those other people's lives. I'm talking about our lives. We're, we're trapped in a world of resentment and regret and loneliness and hurt. And, and we try to push it down. We try to hide it in the private, hidden parts of our lives. We try to lock it away keep it behind closed doors, bury it in the basement of our lives, but it doesn't work. It ultimately destroys us. It keeps us always longing for more, but the more seems always just a little bit out of reach. Can you relate to this? I bet you can. The good news is that it doesn't have to be this way, this constant struggle in darkness. Jesus made it possible for us to be transformed, made new, to go through a metamorphosis. His grace and power makes it possible for us to genuinely experience the reality of out with the old and in with the new, which is what we're longing for right now. <clears throat> I think Pete set us up beautifully last weekend. He, he helped us to focus forward on this idea of out with the old and in with the new. And I just want you to keep that focus because that's what we're really longing for in life. And this weekend, here's the truth we're going to focus on. It's a negative truth, it's a dark truth, but it's reality as we experience it. And if we don't understand it and then get beyond it, we'll never experience the life, the new life God made possible for us. And the truth is this, resentment is a destructive force that grows in us, inside of us, each and every one of us, as we focus on our hurts. And I've already identified the reality that we all experience hurt, we all experience trouble, we all experience pain. That's non-negotiable. It's a common denominator of all of our lives. It's part of the natural outworking of this human journey. So we're going to experience hurt, but the natural reaction is to focus on it. Focus on the hurt and then kind of diagnose the people who caused it, who's behind it. And we really start magnifying in our lives and that just creates a growing resentment that becomes a poison to destroy us. I actually believe that resentment is underneath all of the disastrous realities that we as human beings experience the bad choices, the broken relationships, the further brokenness, the despair. It's a product, an outcome, a return on our resentment and not getting beyond it. A good example of this truth is found in the Old Testament that God has given us in a guy named Job. 
I mean, Job was a guy who loved and lived for God. And according to how some people teach and proclaim and believe, if you love God and you live for him and you really do live a life of faith, everything will go gloriously for you. Everything will be great. Nothing will go wrong. So many people get mad at God and walk away from God because life isn't all sunshine and mountaintops and tiptoeing through the roses when God never promised that. He said his light could shine in us even when we're surrounded by and walking through darkness. He said that his joy could be real in us even when we're experiencing circumstances of great despair. He didn't say we'd never experience those valleys. He said we could experience his goodness in the midst of the world's badness. And Job's a perfect example of this. He loved and lived for God but yet lost almost everything. I mean everything. Tragically lost all of his children in a disastrous circumstance. He lost all of his accumulated wealth. And he lost his health. The two things that he didn't lose, his wife and some friends, he wound up wishing he had lost. And I'm not kidding, his wife, you know, here he is suffering and going through darkness. That's when you need some encouragement, right? His wife said... Why don't you just curse God and die? Jeez. I'd have some words for her, right? They might not be in with the new words, <laughs> but they'd be words. His friends blamed him for his problems. I mean, his friends were saying, you brought this on yourself. You look so good, you look so righteous, but we know these bad things wouldn't be happening if you were living the right way. It's not true, but it's how many people view life. They were wrong. He kind of allows the story to unfold this way in Job 2.13. Then, after he had experienced all this loss, they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was, this man who loved and lived for God but still experienced trouble. And after this time, and remember, seven days go by, they're sitting around, he's just in agony. What's he focusing on? He's focusing on the loss. He's focusing on the hurt. And what's growing in him? The destructive force of resentment. It's what happens. We do this, don't we? Focus on it. Focus on it. Well, after this, Job opened up his mouth and he cursed the day of his birth. He said, why is light even given to those who will just in the end experience misery? And why is life given to those who will just experience bitterness of soul? And then go through 23 chapters of this narrative and... Even then, because he's been focusing on it so long and it's been growing, this thing called resentment, he says, even today my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy in spite of my groaning. He kept calling out to God and nothing changed. Resentment's a destructive force that grows when we focus on our hurts. And the natural thing to do is to focus on our hurts. It is. So if we're going to get beyond resentment, put that out with the old and allow Jesus to put in the new, we have to understand this thing called resentment and how destructive it is 
so that we'll be motivated to do something about it. So I thought we should understand it. And you need to understand some things about resentment. Like resentment is most potent, most powerful when those we love are the ones who hurt us. Resentment's a powerful force and anything that causes it to grow, it will become destructive in our lives. But the truth is, it's the ones that we love the most that we look to the most who can cause the greatest amount of hurt that leads to the greatest amount of resentment. I mean, the reality is that I stand on a platform in front of a bunch of people and I talk about Jesus. Not everyone really likes the way I go about that. And so every once in a while, you'd be surprised, every once in a while, I get a letter from someone I don't know that basically wouldn't mind me being dead, you know? Very kind letters, very encouraging, very uplifting. Good for New Year. And uh, they're, they're just mean. But I don't know these people. So I go, who cares? My kids still say hello, you know? It's like, that's pretty good. My grandkids still like me a lot. No big deal. I don't know those people. Easy to throw those letters where they belong. In my trash bin named hell. You know, that's a, I'm just kidding. So here's the thing. But when I get hurt, and I do, and when I get betrayed, and I do, and when I get wounded, and I do, by the people closest to me that I love the most, that's when it's hard. Resentment is most potent when we're hurt by those who we love. Job said this. Look at Job chapter 19, verse 19. All my intimate friends, not far away, who cares, my intimate friends detest me. Those I love have turned against me. That's when resentment really becomes powerful. You know it because all of us have been wounded by people close. It's easy to cast away thoughts about you, statements about you from far away, but when it's someone close, you can't stop focusing on it and the resentment keeps growing. You also need to understand that resentment affects our ability to think and react wisely. You can have all the knowledge in the world, you can have a logical mind, you can understand the steps to making good decisions, you can know what you should do and shouldn't do, but the truth is when resentment is the fuel that's filling you and driving you, you can't think or react wisely. You make dumb choices. And this explains a lot about my life. Why, when I know better, do I do such foolish things? And it's very often because I'm allowing resentment to take a place in my life that it shouldn't. So I can't be wise, even if I have the information to be wise. Ecclesiastes is written by a guy, one of the wisest men on the planet, who understood wisdom, named Solomon. And look at what he said in Ecclesiastes 7, 9. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Saying, you know what makes a person behave like a fool? It's allowing resentment and anger to motivate them. I mean... This is why we make such dumb decisions. We need to get beyond resentment. 
I think we need to understand that resentment robs us of everything we're looking for in life. I'll just use one word to illustrate it, joy. Resentment robs us of joy. You can have everything in life. You can be better off than 99.9% .9 on the planet, like most Americans are, regardless of your economic strata, and you can still be absolutely miserable because resentment owns you. Job again, in Job 21, verse 23, one person dies in full vigor, completely secure and at ease, well-nourished in body, bones rich with marrow. Another dies in absolute bitterness, filled with resentment of soul. And what's the outcome of their life? Never having enjoyed anything good. It doesn't say they've never experienced anything good. They've never been able to experience anything with joy because resentment is filling them. I've been a pastor a lot of years and I just need to tell you my anecdotal reality is that the most unhappy and lonely people I have ever known are those who are filled with anger and resentment. And you know what's really sad? It's not people outside the church that I know best. It's people inside the church that I know best. And how sad is it that those who sing songs of Jesus, those who declare belief in Jesus, those who sacrifice to be in a place that calls on Jesus and worships Jesus and teaches Jesus, allow themselves still to be filled with this resentment that destroys. How sad that they've allowed hurt that they couldn't control to rob them of the joy of life that they can control. It's sad. You need to understand, I think, that resentment in the end tears us apart on the inside. You can project beauty on the outside, you can project the perfect life on the outside, but resentment left inside and growing tears you apart, tears you to pieces on the inside. I think Job said it great in 18.4, you who tear yourself to pieces in your anger. It's exactly what happens to us. I don't think I've really had to say any of this. I think I should spotlight it. I should shine the light on it. I should declare it. it. Shouldn't make us have to recognize it. But you know all these things because this is the story of your life, like it's the story of my life. Resentment's real. I have found over the years that it's impossible for me to connect with someone who I don't think understands my reality. And that's true of pastors. Very often people look at pastors and they think, what do you know about living in the real world? I live in the real world. But many, often, many times pastors don't acknowledge that they live in the real world. It's like they're preaching to people, if you could just be as good as me. That's not how it is at all. You know who God really uses? Not the people who are better than you, but often the people who've been far worse than you. The more broken who've needed redemption even more. And that's my story. This thing of resentment is not something that I've had victory over forever. This thing of resentment is very real in my life. I began learning about the destructive force of resentment in my life in a big way as a young man pastoring my very first church. And if you've been here for a while, then you've heard the story, at least in parts, I'm sorry I can't make up new stories for you. Uh, 
It was a tiny little church, the first church that I pastored, of 18 people when Roxanne and I first went. But we began pouring our lives into it. We gave as much energy to that ministry of 18 as we give in this ministry today. We were so excited to be in ministry. And everything was going great. I mean, it started growing. We grew by like 410% in six months. It was amazing. Lives were being changed. People were coming to faith. Families were being put together. It wasn't, I had never been a part of anything like it in my life. But there was this one big problem. The original 18 people didn't like it. And they didn't like it because they didn't like all the new people. They didn't like it because they were no longer at the center of attention anymore. All of a sudden, this young pastor was getting the attention that they thought they should deserve. And so they saw me as the problem. And they decided that they wanted to get rid of me. And they began an underground crusade to push me out. It really wasn't a tough thing because all the new people who had come in weren't members yet, weren't all that, the 18 people owned the vote. It was disastrous. And their darkness started destroying people's lives. And I got lots of counsel on this, and I finally realized that I cannot be the source of that negativity. And so I ultimately resigned. And at the end of the service where I resigned, just to give you a little bit about the hurt, the end of the service where I resigned, not for my sake, but for the good of others. One of the elders during his closing prayer thanked God for fixing the problem. <laughs> yeah. One of the leaders had the gall to come over to our house as we were packing and decided to tell me that I was a really good speaker, but a lousy pastor. And I should never, ever be a pastor again. I should be an evangelist that just goes around and speaks to people. I mean, he said it. I was pretty young at the time, but I was pretty sure he had been given the gift of encouragement. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I was pretty sure about that. Initially, I just threw my hands up and said, I don't need this. I didn't go into ministry to be wounded like that. I didn't need it. A lot of other options in my life, thank you very much. But here's the key. With God's help, I dealt with those feelings of resentment. I broke free from them. If I hadn't, just know I wouldn't be experiencing any of the joys I experience today. In fact, without that bitter experience, I wouldn't be the pastor I am today. I learned a lot. I became more useful to God through that painful time of betrayal than I would have ever become without it. Uh, that's just the way it is. And I can tell you, I can tell you firsthand experience, God did with that circumstance what only God can do. He turned it into something good. And that's just one of thousands of illustrations I could give you. Unfortunately, too many people allow their bitter experiences to make them bitter rather than to properly deal with them and allowing them to become better. Sounds cliche, but it's so true. They are bitter, experience will, bitter experiences we'll have in this life, but 
we don't have to let them make us bitter. We have to properly deal with them and break free from them before they leak out and spill out all over the place before they write the story of our lives. So let me give you the application. Since the truth is that the destructive force of resentment grows in our life as we focus on our hurts, and that is the natural process of our life, the application becomes really important. If we're going to experience life beyond the destructive force of resentment, we have to do some things. And just know I've had to firsthand be in this, not just when I was young, but now. Have you noticed some older people get crankier, crankier and crankier and crankier? Have you noticed old people sometimes get more bitter and more bitter? They've had more time to focus on their hurts. It isn't easier for me today, but it's just as important. If we're going to experience life beyond the destructive force of resentment, then we have to start here. We have to own up to our hurt. We have to acknowledge it, own up to it, admit it. We can't keep trying to bury the hurt. And I remember as that young pastor, people asked me, man, doesn't this make you mad? Doesn't I know? And remember, I have to project. And so I had to project the image of a good little pastor boy. They said, no, God's got it. God works good out of all things. And all the cliches that I wasn't really processing as I focused on the hurt and the resentment grew. The only way I could get beyond it was by finally stopped acting like I was tougher than I am, and just admit, man, it hurts. I'm wounded. I love how Job processed his pain, Job 7:11. Therefore, I will not keep silent. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to bury it. I'm going to speak out in the anguish of my spirit. And he spoke out in raw terms, if you read his story. I'm going to complain in the bitterness of my soul. This is a guy who really knew that he couldn't bury it. It would destroy him. And just know this, we don't have to sanitize our feelings. So many times as Christians, we think we have to sanitize everything. Oh, you, you know, cushion it with God's good, God's great, God's wonderful, God's this, this is great. It's like, oh, this is a bad thing to happen. But that's just, this guy went full bore on sharing his hurt and resentment. And you know that the New Testament tells us the same thing. James 5, 16, therefore confess own up to your hurts, your sins, your failures, your shortcomings. Acknowledge them, that word means. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. If you don't own up to your hurt, you'll never be able to be healed. And too many of us are in hiding. Let me ask you, are you keeping anything destructive under wraps in your life? I bet you are. You can make all the New Year's resolutions you want and you're just going to keep heading down the same circle of failure until you own up to it. You need to know that it's going to reveal itself one way or another. Either you're going to confess it positively and experience healing or resentment is going to reveal it and begin the destructive process of poisoning everything in your life. If we're going to overcome the destructive force of resentment in our life, then we have to learn how to forgive. Now, you'd think I'd put a period there or an exclamation mark. Learn how to forgive. Learn how to forgive. But that would be an inaccurate statement. If we're going to overcome the destructive force of resentment in our life, then we have to learn how to forgive by being forgiven. 
The reason we're so unforgiving is because we're so unforgiven. The reason we're expressing such hatred towards other people is because we have such hatred for ourselves. We're in agony over our own guilt. We think God's failing us and God's deserted us and we're hurting like Job because of our mess-ups. And that's not true. It's just not true. It's because we're carrying it. It's the big burden that we carry every single day in our lives. And until we're forgiven of the big stuff we carry, we'll never be able to forgive the little stuff people do. To which you say, the stuff that's been done to me isn't little. Maybe true, but I will say this. It's littler than what you've done to God. He created you. He's the source of life. And you've walked away from him and said, you can do it better without him than with him. Are you kidding me? We need to learn how to forgive by being forgiven. It's exactly what the Bible tells us. Look at Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. Why do you have to have that sentence in the Bible? I'll tell you why. Because we're all going to hurt each other. Do dumb things. So we have to bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, I mean, it's going to happen. How do you do it? You forgive as the Lord forgave you. You forgive as the Lord forgave you. If you've never experienced the forgiveness of the Lord, there's no way you're ever going to be able to forgive the biggest wounds in your life, which means you'll focus on them and the destructive force of resentment will grow. And the good news is the reason Jesus came is so we could be forgiven for the big stuff and the little stuff. He died on the cross not because he deserved it, but because we deserved it, and then he rose again so that we could have new life, not because we deserved it, but because he deserved it and he loved us enough to give it to us. But we have to own up to the hurt to get there. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess, acknowledge our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all those wrong behaviors, unrighteousness. We need to confess, so you need to learn to forgive by being forgiven. If there's any place in your life that you've yet to express forgiveness resentment's going to own you now this doesn't mean you have to forgive them and become their best friend you have to forgive them and reattach yourself to the wounds they can give you that's not what it's saying you have to stop letting their hurts in your life own you forgive them so just because you learn how to forgive by being forgiven doesn't mean you're forgiving yet, right? So the next, if we're going to overcome the destructive force of resentment in our life, then we have to take this next step. We have to forgive those who've hurt us. We actually have to pass the forgiveness on. I love how Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And then this... Forgive us our sins. Interesting. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Why does he say that? Because there's no way that you're experiencing God's forgiveness if you remain unwilling to forgive. So once we've been forgiven, we have to forgive those who've hurt us. 
Again, Job went through this time of unbelievable resentment owned by it and then got right with God. You can read the story to see how that all comes down. And the first thing that happens in his life, you remember his wife and his friends? Yeah, the people that I'd be praying God send lightning bolts through their heads. You know that, you know, because I'm such a good person. Um, here's what he did. Job 42.10, after Job had prayed for his friends, what did he do the first thing in his life when he got right with God? You know what he did? He prayed for his friends because the resentment was gone. There was no reason to try and destroy them. He prayed for his friends and the Lord acknowledged this redemption that happened to him. The Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. I mean, this guy experienced a great story after but he forgave those who hurt him. I love how Romans tells it. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Don't take revenge, my friends. Revenge is a, something that stems from the fuel of resentment. Don't take revenge. Don't exercise your will for resentment, my friends, but leave room for God to express his anger. For it's written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We have to forgive those who've hurt us. I want you to realize, and I really hope you'll capture these couple of sentences, when we focus on the person that hurts us, we're allowing that person to control us. And why would you want the person who's hurt you to the most to be controlling you? Another sentence I think you really need to hear. We move towards what we focus on. I'll give you proof of this. When I focus on a 22-ounce bone-in ribeye, I move toward it. I mean, I just do. When I focus on Little Debbie's snack cake, and obviously I've got a food issue right now, but uh, when I focus on a Little Debbie's snack cake, I'm moving towards it. When I focus on a person who's expressed hatred towards me, I move towards it. This is why so many people become just like the person they hate the most. You've heard it. I'll never be like my dad. I'll never be like my mom. I'll never be like that boss. And yet, what happens? They become just like that because it's their focus and they're moving towards it. We need to deal with these things and give them to God. It's the only way to overcome and break free because when you focus on God, you become more like Him. I want to give you a passage that really declares this. It's talking to those of us who've let Jesus forgive us and free us from the guilt within and the resentment and all that. And he says, since then you have been raised with Christ, given a new life with Christ, out with the old, in with the new. Here's what you should do. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above 
not on earthly things because what you focus on is what you'll move toward. And then he's able to say this in verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. When you focus on God, you're moving towards his peace. But when you focus on things of this earth, you're moving away from it. So my last principle, if we're going to get beyond the destructive force of resentment in our lives, then we have to refocus our hearts and minds on God and his truth. And it's not natural. It's not natural. I'm telling you, it's more natural for me to focus on the thing closest to me that I'm blaming the most for my circumstances. But then I'm moving in the wrong direction. We need to refocus our hearts and minds on God and his truth. Let me go back to my illustration about that church where I was a young pastor. What those elders in my first pastorate said to me, you remember what they said? That I was the problem, that I was ruining their church. That getting rid of me was God's answer to their prayer. That I should never be a pastor. Those things hurt. It could have filled me so much with resentment that it drove me away from ministry and away from God himself. That's where most people are, running away from God because of all the hurt they're experiencing. Could have been me. But here's what I realized. What they were saying wasn't the truth. Why would I allow what people who care nothing about anyone else and care only about themselves and who are broken themselves and expressing the hurt of their brokenness and their own resentment, why would I allow what they speak to become the truth that I believe that would only ruin my life? Why would I do that? The truth wasn't what they said. The truth was that though flawed and a sinner, God loved me and God had redeemed me, that God had called me. That was the truth. And in order to keep from being owned and destroyed by resentment, I needed to focus on God and his truth, not their wounds and their lies. And if you want to experience the reality of out with the old and in with the new in your life, then the same needs to be true for you. I don't know what wounds you carry. I don't know what people have said about you. I don't know how loudly they ring in your life, but I knew, do know this. That's not the truth for you. The truth for you is what God has said and what God says, and that's what you should focus on. God so loved you that he sent his son to give up everything for you so that you could become a child of God. Focus on that and everything will change. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer for a moment? And in this moment, I just really want to encourage each and every one of you, those of you online, those of you at our campuses, to just really focus your hearts and mind on God and his truth in your own life. But there are some of you here, some of you experiencing this, and you've never opened your life the first time to Jesus, and this is your moment. So while everybody else is praying on their own, would you pray with me? Take my words in this prayer and make them yours to God. In your heart, just say, Jesus, 
you know the mess in me, the guilt, the shame, the anger. But I believe you died on that cross so that I could be forgiven. And so by faith, I'm confessing, acknowledging my sin and guilt and asking you to forgive me and save me. And now help me to let go of my anger and to forgive like you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed with me, I really encourage you, would you let us know? We want to give you a book of the Bible in journal form. It's a really cool way that you can start refocusing on what God's truth is. We'd love to give it to you, but we have to know. So you just text us one word, the name of our church, Northridge, to the number 31616. We'll send you a link. You have to fill that link out, get it back to us, and we'll send you that information. It can really help you move forward in this new year. But for all of us, we have to take a next step, right? We have to take a next step. There's a next step to take. And so here at Northridge this year, we've decided to support you in the idea of taking a next step with a, with a spiritual formation opportunity called Life is Better Together. Life is Better Together, where you can step into an environment where instead of pulling you down, people try and pull you up, where you can be encouraged spiritually instead of discouraged spiritually. And you have to make the choice. Make the choice. We talked about it with Dr. Martin Luther King earlier, how... Though he was consumed with darkness, he kept making the positive choice to pursue light instead of hatred. Make the choice. All you have to do if you want to know more about it is you can text us at that same number, 31616, the word better, and you'll get back information or you can go online as you can see on the screens. Or if you happen to be in one of our campuses, all you have to do is go in the lobby and you can meet our spiritual team. They can, the spiritual formation team. They can answer all the questions you have about it. Just take that step, would you? Because you weren't built for resentment. You were built for freedom, for fulfillment, to live a life to God's glory. But to get there, you have to make the choice to focus on God and His truth. Because that will lead you into the light. So glad that you were here this week. Hope to see you next week. Thanks, everybody.